0: I've got an all-girl army that knows what to do. They'll box his hell and practice Kung Fu. I put my finger in the ground and turn the whole world around. Yes, I'm Dolan. I'm the one that killed Monday, and whooped Tuesday, and put Wednesday in the hospital. Called up Thursday to tell Friday not to bury Sarah Dion Sunday. I'm the one that had the elephants roosting in trees and all the ants wearing BBD. From the first to the last, I give them the blast so fast that their life is past before their ass has even hit the grass. See me uptown, downtown, crowned and renowned. Delayed, relayed, mislaid, and parlayed. Hatch, match, snatch, and scratch. Whack, jack, smack, quack. Boot black, blackjack, racetrack, and flapjack. And still coming back. If you crave satisfaction, this is the place to find that action. Coming to this theater as this next attraction is the picture that will put you in traction. Dolomite, starring me, Rudy Ray Moore, as Dolomite, and that bad Derville Martin as Willie Green. Dolomite, Dolomite. And now, it's time to sit back and enjoy The Two True Freaks Internet Radio Broadcast. Chris Honeywell is an internet loudmouth.
1: And that's why the movie Friday starring Ice-T is the greatest exploitation comedy of all time. Hated and reviled by his few remaining friends, he catches the attention of Thomas D.J., perhaps the world's most cunning supervillain. Ensconced in his ultra-scientific hideout, with only his robot army
0: and stunning assistant to keep him company, D.J. springs into action. Is yes, this
2: idiocy? Virginia, use the molecular transmigration beam to bring this fool to me.
1: Virginia trains the hellish mechanism, and with a
0: clap like thunder and in a blinding psychedelic light, Chris Honeywell stands
2: before his tormentor. Normally, I do not suffer fools, but I see beyond the yawning chasm of ignorance that is your brain and the endless sluice of sewage which is your mouth, they form a basic animal intelligence that I may be able to mold to my own devices. Uh, okay. Therefore, in my mercy, I offer you two choices. Instant, painless disintegration, or you study grindhouse movies at my feet
0: now! Choose.
1: Uh, I choose not disintegration. So be it. In one month, I shall assign you a movie to watch, and will
2: summon you again. Be ready, or the consequences shall be
1: swift and merciless. Right, but how do I get
0: to Now go! And thus began one of the most dangerous and unpredictable endeavors in evil sciencing. The Honeywell Experiment! (laughs) Virginia, summon the subject!
2: Okay, You can just put down this uh, plate of hamburgers right here just in case our uh, subject is hungry. You don't get any until you answer the question.
1: Did you fulfill this phase? I did. Oh, I did. (laughs) Believe me, I did.
2: So, yes. So, you watched Dolomite.
1: What did you think? Um... The word masterpiece comes to mind <laughs> Um ma- masterpiece of, of, of um of important social commentary.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um a- as as I was talking about in phase two. Yes. I really think like as far as a commentary on race in America that Dolomite has more to say still to this day than say something like "lilies of the field" or "guess who's coming to dinner." <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I think Dolomite still holds up and still has something to say, mm-hmm. whereas those other movies are sort of stand nice. as they're they're great movies, yeah. but they stand as sort of a timepiece of the the times. Mm-hmm. And although this movie, there's no way you could say that this movie has is not dated. Mm -hmm. it is well because it it exists in its own world yes but its own world is definitely of the funky swinging 70s Mm -hmm.
2: Well, you know how, like, they used to refer to Planet Williamson for all those Fred Williamson movies?
1: To Planet Williamson?
2: Planet Williamson.
1: Oh, Planet Williamson. Oh, okay. Yeah,
2: that that all the Fred Williamson movies happened on a different planet where Fred Williamson was basically the center of the universe.
1: He was basically, yeah, the the alpha being of the... the, Yes, this is definitely this is planet this is planet rudy
2: ray moore and we should probably i'm wondering if we should tell, talk a a little bit about who rudy ray moore was to people since
1: oh you have to you have to to explain this movie because this movie is rudy ray moore yeah it's rudy ray moore it's (laughs) it's the it's it's you you might as well name all his movies rudy ray moore one rudy ray moore (laughs) two rudy Ray Moore the return revenge of rudy ray moore Mm -hmm. Uh son of rudy ray moore yep rudy ray moore versus the devil son of rudy ray moore except son isn't really the star <laughs> yeah Ru- um, rudy, rudy ray, ray moore son <laughs> yes.
2: rudy ray moore was what they called a party comedian and the party comedian was a phenomena of the late 60s and mid 70s where um if you were lived in an urban uh, a heavily populated urban area like new york or Los Angeles, or Chicago, and you knew the right sold music store to go to. You the could right ask
1: to ask about
2: yeah, the right. You could buy records by people like uh, Red Fox, started out as a party comedian. Mm-hmm. And what they would be is they'd be these records that uh, had basically bawdy jokes about sex and race and all sorts. It was supposed to be really just like not safe for don't let. Why do you hear this?
1: Right, it was. This was something to play at a party, and like Red Fox was like basically live comedy albums, mm-hmm. like Mom's Mabley was too. But Rudy Ray Moore, he worked the medium. He went into the studio and would cut a party album, so it would almost it would be a stage act, and he had a stage act,
0: mm-hmm. but he
1: would do it in the well, studio, and they would add in voices of people laughing. Yeah. They would have people in the studio laughing, but they would dub in. Voices to it was made to play. It was made to be listened to at a party with a bunch of people. So even the people in the record laughing and stuff was was sort of meant to goose and mm-hmm. and enhance the atmosphere in the house where you're listening to the to the record. You know, and uh, um, Blowfly was another Blowfly right. did musical versions of that often with people dubbed in laughing and stuff. And they sort of occupy the same space with me as, like, um, Tijuana Bibles or something. Right. There's something, they were a dirty little secret, and trucker tapes, too. Yeah, and mm-hmm. Dolomite used to sell his his records to truckers. That's how he knew that he could sell these, was that he would put, about, put tapes out at truck stops, and they would sell out, and people would be like, bring me more You know, Dolomite tapes for, and he was like, I knew this was going to work when that, when that happened. Right. And yeah, this is the cinematic equivalent of that.
2: And he, he specialized in a particular type of comedy where he would tell these stories in verse with, you know, very bawdy. Well, he was the
1: first one to just openly swear. Right. You know, Red Fox would make jokes, double entendres, where he would say "dicks and pussy," but you know, it would be "cats and and uh, and you know the name Richard." But he would he would work it mm-hmm. in. And, whereas Dolomite would come right out and say, "That motherfucker!" Right. Oh well, I
2: mean, when I rewatched this well, this week, I was doing a little bit of live tweeting while I was doing so because I had seen this so often, it was like, and the. I posted a Twitter saying the second line in this movie is what does that rat suit eating motherfucker want? And you kind of know the kind of film you're in, you're, you're, you're getting into with that moment.
1: And, and motherfucker is funny these days back in the sixties. That was a scary word that yeah. was associated with black people. It was associated with, black people being aggressive <laughs> mm-hmm. so it was, oh. it was it was it was you know it was the, and and it, you know and it was and people took it more literally as the implication yeah. and so and this movie literally dollops it out as every other wor- this this I movie i don't think
2: there is a line uh that rudy Moore has where he addresses one of the villains <laughs> without using the word mother. In fact, there's that one line in the trailer. It's also in the trailer where he goes, I'm motherfucking dynamite, and fucking up motherfuckers is my game.
1: Right. <laughs> right out of rap lyrics of today. But mm-hmm. then that was just so incredibly foul and the amount of tension and hilarity that must have generated in a theater full of like partying... Going for a good time, black people mm-hmm. seeing, you know, not just a subtle like let's stick it in Whitey's face. Right. He's 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 basically you know he's just coming short of pulling down his pants and like, yeah, right in right in the face. He's, right
2: in everybody's faces. Yeah. yeah,
1: it's this this reminds me of I can't remember. Oh, it was uh, the Reverend Ivan Stang of the Church of the Subgenius mm-hmm. describing Russ Meyer movies. He goes, when you go to see a Russ Meyer movie, you're going to see this movie where women are just running around victimizing men, you know, using them up and spitting them out and terrorizing guys. basically the exact opposite of reality. <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, and that's what makes them special. and that's what dolomite the dolomite lives in a world where he just, you know, walks, Walks through and dominates everything. Even yeah. in the beginning, when he's in prison and the and the warden calls him in, you could tell the warden loves him. The warden has yes. respect. Dolomite, you know, we, we gotta let you out. You the the, the mm-hmm. world needs Dolomite out. Dolomite. There. <laughs> I know you've. Been That's doing like the good. only that and the the blonde
2: pimp, the blonde uh, prostitute that he has are mm-hmm. the only two nice white people in the film.
1: Yes, and, and she was also a bit. I mean, she the, the line where she, what is she just like sticks her head out the window and is just like, like God damn right, you know. Oh, shit, I Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's just so many sequences where, uh, there's one where he's just, you know, where they're talking about his prostitutes. He's just like, and he makes sure to let him know, oh, yeah, well, I got a lot of white girls in there, too. Ooh, right. <laughs> You know, Dol- Dolomite wanted to make everybody know for sure that but the white girls really loved him. Yep. <laughs> but let's let's
2: not let now before you think that this is gonna this is one of these like black flotation films where they're beating up on
1: hoes and tricks. These are empowered kung fu prostitutes. Yes, that's how Dolomite treats his. You know, a lot of times you'll see a pimp and he's arguing. Hey, man, I treat my women right. I buy them new clothes. I buy them food. No, Dolomite gives them whole structure on their lives. Not not only does he have the prostitutes, he's their friend who, from jail, <laughs> um, <laughs> has them learning... Martial arts, not only so they can fight, but of course it brings the discipline and <laughs> yeah. And also the thing is, is that there there are scenes in this film. There are a couple of scenes
2: in this film where we see the you know the prostitutes getting their revenge, so to speak, on a uh, on a John who has misused them. Yes,
1: I mean the one guy. What was it? The one guy
2: he calls himself lover boy or
1: whatever. Yeah, he's basically I can get it for free. You're just another. You're just another girl for me today. And, and and he he gets turned into a little bitch. Yes, he, yes, <laughs> yes. She literally kicks his ass, and uh, and in in a lot of ways, Dolomite movies really remind me of John Waters movies. Mm-hmm. They're they're made by sh- whereas John Waters wasn't. Uh, I mean, Dolomite was making you know these they were he it, Dolomite is a living cult of personality. And whether mm-hmm. he's really such an arrogant guy, he probably isn't. But he built his character, and just the the they are vanity product projects through. Oh and through. yeah, I mean
2: the fact that when Dolomite isn't on the screen, people are talking about Dolomite. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah. And 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 whereas, but they both have in common with with John Waters' movies is mm-hmm. he takes a world of people. That are marginalized and hated generally, mm-hmm. and portrayed as being the scumbags in in movies, and makes them the, uh, the they're the family unit. They're the yeah. they're the people with honor. They're the people who are just trying to make their way with the unjust society around them. You know, his friends are unapolo and and same in you know. I mean. I mean, look at that. We were talking before we started
2: uh, recording about my favorite character in probably all of cinema history, Creeper ha- the Hamburger <laughs> Um, who apparently literally
1: was somebody who he, he, he picked off the street and- because they couldn't. And he becomes because... sort of like the funky version of Wimpy. You know, yeah. I'll gladly pay you Tuesday for a hamburger today. <laughs> he 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 sweet talks the girl at the yeah. at the oh, hamburger. I'll buy you one today. And 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 then and, and there's so much you know about that character from yeah. so little. You know that his greatest joy in life is getting a hamburger. Yeah. And and he got his hamburger and he does his his si- signature signature creeper walk, walk,
2: yeah, which is, we get a view of for about twenty seconds.
1: Which you know, which you see it, and you and as a vanity film, and as somebody who's like new to filmmaking, you see it and you go like, "Oh, he really liked the way, way this guy walked," and mm-hmm. was going to call attention to it, which is.
2: But then, Dolomite meets up with him, and there seems to be a genuine warmth.
1: Yeah, cause that's how Dolomite is, dude. He's down to—he is the kick-ass hero of the universe. Mm-hmm. When you meet him, and you're cool for whatever reason, he's down to earth. He's there talking to you on the level, you know. And when he gets this guy alone, they're pals. He's like, "Hey, yeah,
0: hey, yo, hamburger... hamburger
1: pimp." Yeah, <laughs> by his nickname, and they—they have—he—he—he he, he treats him with human dignity and respect. Dolomite he treats everybody uses... with. He only uses
2: violence against Creeper when Creeper is abusing himself with the drugs.
1: Yes, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's the thing, is Dolomite is, he's a pimp, he's a murderer, Mm cold-blooded murderer. (laughs) Oh, in the first 15 minutes, he bows down three guys. Just with no consequence, just sort of, just like, hang on, pull over, we gotta do this. And and that's after, I mean, he was in jail for... Dope, mm-hmm. stolen furs, everything. That's the. I love that yeah. line. Of die. He's in the, he, dope, stole. You had dope, stolen furs, everything, Dolomite. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yet, at the same time, and this, and this continue as as usually with these guys that do this movie, these kinds of movies. As time goes yeah. on. And they're sent, and the movies either become more you know seen and maybe get a bigger budget they, they start developing more of like ah, I'm a community leader so then when you get to like by disco Godfather mm-hmm. he's like okay I gotta tone down the the violence and stuff because there's people who see dolomite as a role model so I'm right. gonna be the guy you know keeping drugs out or or whatever it's it's awesome, and nobody ever takes it seriously. <laughs> In a movie like this, it's it's just part of the the you know. Well, I mean, part of it is just it's Dolemite. so primitive.
2: This yes. film is so primitive on such a on a technical level. I yeah. mean, with the exception of Durville Martin, who also directed it, Jerry Jones, who plays the Reverend, and it was a, a noted acting teacher. And the great High Pike, who plays the mayor, you can literally, realistically think that everybody else in this in this film is just Rudy Ray Moore's pals.
1: Yes. Oh, Queen B. The the first time I saw this and Queen Bee started doing her dialogue, I'm like, oh man, she's like a friend that like she's like a club owner or something. Yeah. You know, she's she's He's somebody. Prob- she's like the Edith club Massey, owner, basically.
2: She's probably the club owner of the experience.
1: Yes. Yes.
2: He's like, I'll let you be in my movie. If you
1: let us film for free in your club. And they probably call her queen bee too. Yeah. They probably called her queen bee. And he's like, listen, you're just going to be playing you. And, and yeah, it's, and it's wonderful that, the, the, the woman who owns a club can basically go to prison, like that whole scene. The absurdity of that whole scene of like, yeah. all right, Delamite, we're letting you out. Here's Queen Bee's gonna take you, <laughs> and <laughs> well, that that's a, a definite sign that there's
2: no reality in this film.
1: No, no, it's it's not. It's made. It's it's pandering in the best way. He he's mm. taken his his act and in and, and, and one way he literally transfers his act to yeah. the stage where you actually I mean, see, that... you see the experience. Where it's like, here's my here's my analog to James Brown that would play yeah. before, and here's the woman with the best voice who would come in and over sing, and here's yeah. the, Af- the the African dancers that would do a native dance, and and literally here's me doing my toasts and and my rhymes and stuff. But I mean, there's all... that
2: bizarre scene where he's chasing after some bad guys and a group, uh, a group of brothers um, who are
1: obviously stop friends him. or just a group that were hanging out on the street and he yeah. said, hey, come over here.
2: <laughs> and they, 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 they're they like, we have a bet. I say you're Dolomite. He says you're, you're not. And he's like, I'm Dolomite, brother. Well, then prove it. Do shine in the Great Titanic, which
0: he does.
1: Well, what I love about that is that was improvised. That was an improvised. When I see that, I can, t- I totally, my filmmaker brain said, all right, he got these guys together. These guys are not actors. They're not going to memorize lines. So they basically came up with a scenario where Dolomite could prompt them to do stuff and just be, you know. And they said, okay, you guys just be yourselves. But okay, you two are passing a bottle along. You two have the bet, and you're you know they had little things to do and then dolomite would just come in and be like no i'm busy i can't but i am dolomite and mm-hmm. and you know he would you would see a sort of pause where they'd be like oh shit we got it. oh yeah do, no dolomite come on do do, do, do a, shine in the
2: great titanic do yeah. a
1: line do a line no i can't no i can't oh come on dolomite and then when he's doing it and like halfway through he goes okay that's enough nah, you, you don't want me to finish <laughs> it off and they're like you know they, they don't spontaneously like go, no, 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 like they're hanging on every word. They go like, yeah. oh, yeah, we're oh yeah no, we, wa- we want to hear it more. And uh, and a lot of the guys didn't, you know, were literally reacting to, in those days, just someone swearing in the middle of yeah. a, a, a rap was funny. So there was a little bit of real reaction to it, but you could tell that it was just sort of a set-up scene, which makes it ten times more charming to me. Uh, Because you're looking into a fake world that's made out of a real world at the same time. This guy has taken his world of what he exists and interacts in and has supercharged every element of it. Has made, you know... uh, It it reminds me of my instincts when I was my freshman year of film school Mm -hmm. when uh, my first movie that I made on Super 8 was called mega Dan and my roommate was <laughs> Dan and I just t- took him and exaggerated it into a silent action movie where he you know beat up all the people that stole his money Yeah. and I used to play it at parties that we would have at our house while a band was playing I would play this and you know he, w- he was a roommate so he was one of the hosts of the parties and everybody knew him so right. seeing him as a character in sort of pixelated motion beating the hell out of other people they knew it would bring the house down mm-hmm. to the point of where the band would be like, hey, can you do the movies in between? Because people were going, you know, people weren't paying attention to the band while the, the movie was playing. And it was right. it was 100% pandering, you know. Right. In, in film class, when people watched the movie, they were like, oh, okay, that, you know, tech has a technical skill in it. But when I showed it at the parties where everybody knew Dan, that it, it was a totally different thing. And that's what Dolomite is. When you show that in the theater, like in like, I can. How fun would seeing Dolomite in like a Times Square theater have been? You know, when people realize that, like, oh my God, this is. You know, he filmed this on the street with, with, Mm -hmm. and all the characters are street people, and they are victorious, (laughs) (laughs) and and portrayed as being people, you know, with dignity. And it's 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 a wonderful thing, and I and it and it's you can get more about that time period, I think, out of Dolomite still still today. You know, there's a fun retro aspect of it, but it's a real cultural timepiece.
0: Yeah,
1: (laughs) I mean, it's it's definitely a snapshot
2: of the way. Los Angeles was in
1: 1975. And yeah, and you you get to see that aspect of it. I mean, watching it today and I I'm as a point of shame, I saw yes. stuff like I'm going to get you sucker. Mm-hmm. before I ever saw Dolomite or anything you know any real black exploitation movies yeah so when you see them now there's there's a, a tendency to be like oh you know enjoy that retro feel to it and stuff and it's like an ironic enjoyment but this goddamn movie this uh, you know I mean okay yeah there's the cheesy aspect there's I mean people the, actually dressed like his that. yes that's exactly where I was going his outfits because Dolomite is not built like an action star or a movie star, he's just yeah. A, we
2: should mention that that this guy who is who is played throughout this movie has the baddest, the hardest, the toughest, the the best lover in the whole world. And he's kind of homely. This, he's not he's, the greatest he's actor. Got he's got kinda,
1: a gut. He's got man boobs. Yeah, we're we're he's 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 a a shape. You know, he mm-hmm. he's a he's a body type and it's a body type that doesn't end up in movies very often unless it's like a construction worker. Mm-hmm. It's not the body type that shows up as a hero. in a right. Movie and and his delivery is kind of flat, you know. Mm-hmm. And, well, he has and, this
2: this one trick he does where he's like he talks very, very quiet. Then he cuts
1: off the last half. <laughs> yes. And it's almost like he's an autistic fellow, you know. <laughs> Who's just learned some stuff, but but you know he the, the, he's got to have a sense of humor because though the the outfit when he gets busted in the beginning mm-hmm. where I'm guessing he's getting ready to go golfing, yeah, cause he's got his hat with he's got <laughs> that hat and and you know there's nothing you can really do with that kind of body that's ostentatious, ostentatious mm-hmm. that doesn't make you look like you're wearing a costume to be like one of the flying rolendas or, yeah. you know, um, Oh, what are the tiger trainers? Uh, uh Roy or something Roy, like yeah. That. You know, you, you have these things that are like buttons, you know, the big wide buttons up the crotch yeah. and, you know, and... or
2: those, those
1: long straight collars with the collar underneath it. Yes. Yes. And and they're sort of made for that, but but they're just, uh, just ridiculous looking. And you can and and he just embraces it. I mean the that mm-hmm. when I the first time I <coughs> saw this movie and I knew I'm in love with this movie. It's, mm-hmm. This movie is, is is got me and it's not going to go wrong unless it really gets boring. Was at the beginning where he makes him pull up in front of the prison and watch all the makes all the guards yes. watch him. Watch all the beautiful women come out of the car. And this is part of like, you know, Rudy Ray Moore is like, okay, we gotta have a scene where all the well every scene has to be with all the women coming out of the car and I'm wonderful. Yeah. But he's take it, takes off his clothes and is just like you know, it's like is get it. this cotton off me. Yeah. You know You know I don't wear cotton. want well, no natural fibers on me. Get some <laughs> real clothes on me. And like, we're gonna get in the car and have sex now. Yeah. And make sure the guards see it. And the and the yes. and the one white guard like, oh no, Dolomite, I'm gonna You'll keep be these. Back. You'll be back. <laughs> and I was just like, I I love this movie. I mean <laughs> I'm I'm deeply and madly in love with this movie forever. And as you were saying with the, the um trailer to this movie. Oh god one of the most glorious trailers ever made. Now the story behind that is Rudy Ray Moore had nothing to do with that trailer. They just sent that they they just sent that trailer out to s- this guy and they weren't really sure how he was going to do it. He was just a sort of standard, you know, guy, you know, worked for the studio type of make trailer guys. Mm-hmm. And the guy saw the footage and he knew <laughs> what to do with it. <laughs> And, I mean, you would think Rudy Ray Moore cut that yeah. thing, because every shot is a shot, a close-up of Dolomite and, and then bright colors. Right. And it, it's, it sells the hell out of that movie. If And they basically, when they saw that, that trailer... And narration,
2: the narration which you heard at the top of the this, this show, is like the icing on the cake.
1: Yeah. And if... When they saw that trailer they were like this this is perfect this is it and we mm-hmm. really need to get this trailer out there and he's like i knew it was going to be a hit when mm-hmm. i when i saw that trailer and that that the trailer is what put that movie over the top is when they showed that trailer in the theaters people went nuts mm-hmm. and when if i would have seen that trailer i would have been like well I'm going to see this movie. (laughs) There's no way it's going to live up to this trailer. Yeah. Because this trailer is saying there's action and craziness every second in this movie. It's all over the top. And when you see that in a Grindhouse movie, you, you usually know there's going to be about 15 or 20 minutes of that. And the rest is going to be sometimes some of the most... You know, insanely hard to sit through filler, mm-hmm. incompetent filler that you'll ever see in, in bad dialogue and exposition. And that would be usually how you'd have to make that kind of movie. Not this one. It This one never it never stops, not for a second. As a matter of fact, it just keeps getting crazier and crazier mm-hmm. as it goes along. And there's never a dull moment in it and that's so rare in something Mm -hmm. like this you know
2: you know we should mention that i do a blog that analyzes trailers from the past and the thing that makes this trailer work for i think besides that thing the the narration which is just so perfect is that there are either scenes of dolomite or scenes of people saying dolomite and it what's neither is no longer than
1: a second he's he is the the center of the universe, and yes. every everyone knows it, and it is necessary to set su- for the movie to work that way. Mm-hmm. It's necessary for you to embrace that because it's a party album. He's the MC. Right. He has to, you know. He he realizes you're coming to that movie to be engulfed in his world. And that's right. it. That's what it's all built on. It's not built on, you know, later, later on and, and, and it worked, you know, he, mm-hmm. with uh, Petey Wheat Straw, the, mm. the legend of Petey Wheat Straw, he thought, okay, maybe I can bring one of these to life, you know, yeah. use, use one of my toasts as the basis for it, which would have seemed to be, if they did this nowadays, that would be how they would approach this. Mm-hmm. And, uh. And, uh, no well was... I mean look
2: at look at a, a film which I am in no way comparing this to because I I have a very dim view of it black dynamite which is somebody's idea of what dolomite is
1: now was that that was in the early 2000s or is that that not... was that was fairly recently that was like 2012
2: 2013 I'm yes right. 30 I, 30 I remember
1: back. I went and saw that in the theater and I only remember. One shot of it, and that was from one of the trailers too. Mm-hmm. And it was where he was spinning around in a car without spilling a soda. Yeah, and that's all I remember of that movie.
2: See, the thing is, is that and and there is a genuineness, even though th- this film is very artificial. It feels artificial. It's filled with uh, people who cannot act. Um, I think there's actually like one scene where Lady Lady Reed, who plays Queen Bee, actually flubs her
1: line and just redoes it. <laughs> yes, yes. It, it, I think that's the scene where they're they're sitting watching the girls do kung fu, and you can see the yeah. boom mi- the, the boom mic's just just mm-hmm. hanging out there at the top.
2: But the thing is, is that it still feels authentic. Whereas I never when I was watching black dynamite and some of the other, uh, exploitation spoofs we've seen in the past 20, 30 years, like, uh, I'm going to get you sucker.
1: I'm going to get you is pretty good. And it's got good it's jokes easy, in it. Yeah, it doesn't it, it, stuff as much goodness as Dolomite in it. And they, yeah. and if you're doing, if you're doing tribute, that's the thing is the tributes to these movies just pale. Because it's people playing, playing dress up. Yeah, they, they pale Where? in comparison to mm-hmm. the original movies because they don't you, for, for one they, 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 they want to add a level of irony and parody to it and mm-hmm. that's subverting the, the whole appeal of this to me is it's so earnest in its what it wants to do and what it does and it's honest in what it does and it doesn't care so it, it, it's brave enough to just go out there and be like, mm-hmm. oh, yeah, Dolomite just kills white people. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and he does that because that's going to play really well in the movie theater. That's going to mm-hmm. make people laugh and clap. And uh, that's, that's amazing. <laughs> yeah. Well, we, we once again come back to the, to
2: the first principle of Grindhouse Cinema, which is it should show you something you've never seen before.
1: This and... is a combination of like, like to a white person, especially. Yeah. This is something you've never seen before, but uh, it, it to like, and and I and I don't want to say to black people because it's mm-hmm. dolomite is not in in the seventies or any time or in any reality not the black experience. No, but it resonates with the black experience of say the people who would have seen it in a Times Square grindhouse. Right, you know. Or on Hollywood Boulevard. Or Hollywood or, Boulevard, yeah, yeah. Especially on Hollywood Boulevard, yeah. Mhm. And, and it's I almost, think also... it's almost literally like camp to the mm-hmm. point of where why why you would see a like a play at camp when they would do skits at the end. The the mm-hmm. thing that made it funny is that was your friends up there doing right. that. And not that they could act well or whatever, it was that and that's what you were watching when you were watching Dolomite. It's like I know those mm-hmm. people, you know. My friend wouldn't be able to act that well. Or would, would, would <laughs> act just as badly as that, but, you know.
2: This was, I mean, I, I, I almost want to look at Dolomite as almost like the equivalent, the exploitation equivalent of Superman the movie. Okay. And, and somewhere Scott Gardner is turning his. Sorry.
0: No, <laughs> well, no, Scott, but hear Scott me out Gardner hasn't this. even
1: made it into this, this far into this podcast. Yeah. yeah. Hear me
0: out,
2: Scott. Lost him at Dolomite. This. Yeah. Is that in that Dolomite is an ideal? He's super tough and he's super competent, but he's good to his neighborhood and he's concerned about the, the people. And he, I mean, he treats the the poor, he treats the everyday man in his world with dignity and respect, just like Superman does. So in a way, most people, I think, give this film bad marks because they compare it to stuff like Shaft or uh, Superfly or Across 110th Street, which were high quality productions.
1: Right, right. They weren't Whereas, as exciting. That like Shaft and Superfly are good movies. They're not as exciting and interesting and engaging to me as, as mm-hmm. Dolomite is Well,
2: Shaft is. is a great movie. It's but the thing is is that it works has a straight on right. detective show. Detective right, thing. Right. Right. Whereas this is a comic book. Dolomite is Superman. He's been exiled but he's coming back to the to the home planet so to speak.
1: To set everything right. Yeah, no, nobody wants Dolomite to be real. <laughs> mm-hmm. Or realistic, you know? Yeah. So,
2: unless Zack Snyder is planning on uh, remaking Dolomite, I think we're safe. I
1: it. would actually go see that. You would see us? Okay. I would go, well, I wouldn't go to a see grim, it. I wouldn't go and see Dolomite. it expecting a good movie, but I would go expecting to see something I'd never seen before, for sure. <laughs> I, and it would be it would be fun because I would think that I might be able to predict what some of it would be like, mm-hmm. and a lot of the joy might be being like disappointed on that, or actually, or but, yeah, I I would in the same vein that I would you know that I would watch a train video of a train crash. Okay, I have a fascination with Zack Snyder as. Where maybe similar to your fascination with me is where I see something that disgusts me <laughs> and feel the need to interact with it, but <laughs> but like you know like now I have this thing where I I'll, I'll go see Zack Snyder movies. I just pay mm-hmm. for whatever it seems like the movie that's going to make the less least amount of money in the theater it gets. I'll buy a mm-hmm. ticket for that, whichever one has the same sort of relative time frame, so I can just slide into the. Zack Snyder movie without seeing, you know, I right. I enjoy taking them apart and and there's also that a uh, level of disbelief where, you know, it's like I I I guess I got to go check again to to really believe that Hollywood's giving this person money to make movies. This is amazing. They
2: I don't... have a higher opinion of Zack Snyder as you do, and we've talked about this yeah. probably in the past. Um, I do think that him and Warner Brothers were a bad mix. Cuz what cuz Warner Brothers was coming off of the, the Chris Nolan movies which were grim and dark. So they're thinking, "Wow, to make money, we should all be grim and dark. Hey, Zack Snyder, be grim and dark." Because it's funny cuz you can see the, the the Chris Nolan fingerprints on Man of Steel. Yeah. Yeah. Even yeah. though there, there are Zack Snyder, the Zack Snyderness to Man of Steel. There's still a lot of Chris, the, the Chris Nolan influences on, in it, which I think, kind of just mixed in a bad, a toxic way with well, what Snyder's
1: drinks were. Zack Snyder not the filmmaker. To I, I mean, I mean, Nolan is sort of. I I have criticisms of Nolan. mm-hmm but I think he's generally, a good, especially when he's not working in the comic book, or, See, know, in the, the Batman thing. genre, he's he's a he's a solid. I look at him as sort of like Brian De Palma to Alfred Hitchcock. I would mm-hmm. put Nolan to um, Kubrick. Mm-hmm. He's sort of he's sort of really. Although I don't think he's as good as De Palma. I think De Palma really got Kubrick or got mm-hmm. Hitchcock. Nolan has that sort of Kubrick philosophy of like, I'm going to be really like put a lot of planning Mm -hmm. into this plan it out like this intensely connected mechanism, but he doesn't have as far, you know, as much as people would say Stanley Kubrick was kind of, you know, distant and a, a distant filmmaker. I still always felt like his movies always had very human heart to him. Well, as you know, Nol- my favorite my favorite film of all time is a Stanley Kubrick film. Which one?
2: Doctor Strangelove.
1: Oh wow, yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, that that in many ways is kind of his perfect movie. Actually, mm-hmm. I think in 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 terms of his his movies, but yeah, it, it, and and Nolan makes these incredibly complex movies mm-hmm. where you have to watch the whole thing. And probably, and 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 if you watch it multiple times, you'll pick up more sort of technical depth to it, and right. see you'll see more of. Oh, I see more of what he was doing here, especially say. Um, oh, what was the one with the guy with the tattoos? Oh, memento. Memento, you know, memento. It doesn't like. It didn't vibe with me emotionally. Mm-hmm. But intellectually, that was a really challenging and ultimately rewarding movie to watch, but you had to really pay attention every time and then subsequent viewings bring out more in it because once you know the standard thing to follow and you don't have to spend mm-hmm. all your time putting it keeping all the pieces in order it it gives more so i
2: I think that the the reason I, I really this is something I share with Scott Gardner. I really hate The Dark Knight. Mm. The, the Dark Knight was a film that I I was okay with when I saw it in the theaters, but as I thought about it more and more, it just fell apart like like wet in the cardboard. Well,
1: remember and I think remember they, when before the movie came out, they put out like the first ten minutes, and that was like the yeah. trailer. And I was mm-hmm. like, "Hey, okay, I like." this idea, and I like where he's going with it, and then the movie totally didn't live up to that for me. It doesn't have a spine. No. It's just a bunch of...
2: It's just a bunch of crazy shit that happens.
1: Yeah, and... And and, and it it's has... also
2: obvious that um, Nolan was more interested in Harvey
1: Dent than in the Joker. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And... To me, I think actually Harvey Dent's more interesting to me than the mm-hmm. Joker. But well, that's what
2: the film is really about. It's not a Batman movie. It's not a Joker movie. It's a Harvey Dent movie, and that's where the focus should have been.
1: What what got it for me is first there was the hype. I remember mm-hmm. reading, uh, um, like it wasn't Pauline Kale, but it was somebody. It was it was a it was a like a. You know, New York Times reviewer or something. It was it was a mainstream reviewer and going like, you know, for this this is a Batman movie, but this has the depth and story and resonance of like a Godfather movie. You know. Well, and, I mean, and I to be like, fair, yeah, if, oh, if you took out the if you
2: took out the the crazy costumes,
1: yeah, it would it, be, would, it would
2: play as a crime movie
1: as that kind of movie. Yeah. But I don't think it, you know, when they were when that that critic said that I I don't know why I did this, but I took them seriously and said, "Wow, mm-hmm. that's quite a thing to say. You know, maybe it's about time somebody did that with the writing, you know. As as soon as I hear that about The Godfather, I yeah. I don't just think the direction, I think something that's incredibly well written on top of it. And mm-hmm. then when I went to see it, I was like, that was good. But the thing about Nolan with, with the Batman movies is, and this really kind of pisses me off mm-hmm. and, it's, and it's one of those things where I'm not really justified because I can't get inside of his head so I don't mm-hmm. know what his motivations are but comparing those movies to his other movies, they did not have, I enjoyed He wasn't as engaged
2: in the Batman movies because he was trying to fit his ideas in a Batman shaped hole
1: yeah, and but he didn't he didn't fully try. He didn't yeah. go into it with as much work. He went into it with more work than people would put into a Batman movie at the time, or as far mm-hmm. as making it that in that way as as a more quote unquote realistic movie. Um, but not as much as care as say he would put into Memento, you know, mm-hmm. or. Or um, Inception, you know, so there there was an element to it where I thought that he was like, well, I don't have to, you know, I'm making this more realistic than your average superhero movie, but it's still just it's it's just a comic book movie. Right. So I don't have to really put the a same amount of effort into it because there's going to be a good amount of people who are going to turn out because it's Batman oh, no. and the Joker and all that, and it's and it's and it's really, you know, I'm doing a silly comic book movie for money, but I'm, you know, I, well, I'm I, doing I, this still. So that they'll to let make me do a, Inception in the next year. He still had to make what he thought was a good movie. By the third yeah. movie, he didn't even care. It, you could tell he just wanted to get it done, mm-hmm. and and stuff like that. But the thing about it is, when it when it comes right down to it, like that movie when it first came out, like, oh, this is a realistic Batman movie, and stuff he still did not put enough realism in it to where like over the course of time it starts turning into you know uh, um that it still plays a little bit like you know a Burton Batman movie or yeah. a comic booky Batman movie and it subverts that because it wasn't it, it, it it's it gets it's, it's not aging well it's it's mm-hmm. it's getting stale as it goes along unless Something that you could take seriously. When Scott Gardner and I did the, the commentary for that movie, you know, mm-hmm. we spent a lot of time just laughing at like some ridiculous and stupid, like physics defying moves right. or something like that. See, because... I, I think
2: the best of, of his Batman films is Batman Begins because he's still yes. kind of intrigued by the story yeah. ideas possible. So he actually does a coherent
1: whole. But it still ends with a chase across the yeah. tops of buildings and stuff, mm-hmm. you know, in that in that in that, that you know tram car thing, which right. is very comic booky. And when when it tries to be realistic, you know, when we watch, we I just remember Scott and I cracking up the, at this one scene because it was so ridiculous of the of the um, bat cycle turning on a dime doing this little thing that was supposed to be really cool but it just looked really stupid Yeah, and and like thinking back on that I realized that looks stupid because he wasn't embracing that it's a comic book movie and it's always going to be a comic book movie
2: you know Dark Knight came out and Iron Man came out and Iron Man to me is the film that has held up better because
1: it's less self-conscious about itself it embraces it it embraces Mm -hmm. it embraces what it does it doesn't take it a hundred percent seriously but it it does realize that what it's doing is the way it's supposed to be doing it and Mm -hmm. it does it right it doesn't it doesn't dick around like every other first superhero movie and make the whole movie about the origin So you're just sitting there waiting for the thing to happen. No, it gets, it gets it going right in the first 10 minutes of the movie, right in the first 10 minutes, he's becoming Iron Man and it's an exciting situation and it's engaging. And then, you know, 15 minutes into Iron Man, they've done what most people would have done with the first whole movie. Yeah. The first whole movie would have been him slaving away, trying to build his suit and hiding stuff, you know, Mm and, and, no, they, they, they know. they and, and when I remember sitting in the movie theater and just thinking, thank you. Thank <laughs> you. You know? The- I remember coming out of the movie theater
2: and calling Derek Ferguson, who I was doing better in the dark with at the time. Hey, Derek. And just calling his number and just saying, leaving a message on his machine. Derek, it's everything we wanted.
1: <laughs> yeah and I had a friend who went to see it ahead of me and I had mm-hmm. I had no intentions I had no interest in the Marvel universe I thought mm-hmm. it sounded ill conceived it sounded boring because I'm used to what what comic book movies would come out and I'm like oh yeah. they're planning 10 of these you know and they're starting with Iron Man that's somebody I really don't care about and my right. friend came back and he's like no you you really have to see this and I went to see it and I said these guys have invented something new that's that's been under their nose That's been under everybody's noses forever, mm-hmm. and they've just figured out how to do it. And you know, I've I've seen every Marvel movie since then. I cannot believe I'm that I'm that I'm saying that, but I have. Even the ones with characters that I don't care about, and I've enjoyed uh, all of them so I've, far. Yeah,
2: I'm not exactly an Ant-Man fan, but I've seen both Ant-Man
1: films. Um, I like the... I, I, I really like... The, I like the Ant-Man films because they're smaller films. I like not... it because they're...
2: Somebody... Um, Whitney Seibolt and William Deviano, who... Um, Deviani, who uh, do a podcast called Critically Acclaimed, made this observation that the Ant-Man films always come after a major... after the Avengers releases mm-hmm. because they're briefs, because they're smaller stories. And they're fun, and they're kind of you know. Nice I, I, I still would have, yeah. I the still would have loved to take a Wright's version, but Edgar Wright didn't want to be a part of the Marvel universe, and so they amicably split up.
1: Yeah, he wanted it, like the, yeah. like in Ant Man, you're worrying about like his family situation. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's a I mean, the whole
2: second Ant-Man film is a film about family. I hope his family comes out all right. Yeah. yeah exactly. exactly. It's about I want to I want to get back with my mother. But this has to be in another dimension, but that's a, and that whole the guffin is motivated by on one in the, the hero side, the, abil- the ability to reunite the family. In the villain side, the ability to basically stave off her own death. Right, right. So they're very personal stakes. They're not like after Infinity War where the whole universe is at stake. That's kind of refreshing.
1: I like small movies out Mm -hmm. of big things. I like side stuff. And I like that the Marvel Universe to me isn't always... You know, when they do when they do do their, you know, epic, um, you know, 96 page, um, basically graphic novel, like the Avengers and, and, you know, and stuff like that. I actually enjoy those ones more than I would enjoy the, than I enjoyed the comics versions of those when Mm -hmm. they would be like, okay, we're bringing everything to a head. and stuff, it works a little better in the movies because the the characters are more alive, but I like when they do I liked when they did, I like I'm one of the few people that, I don't love it, but I like, I enjoyed the Thor Dark World, the second Thor movie, because it was it was light and it was loose and Mm -hmm. it remind. and a lot of times it reminds me of the experience of going out and reading Marvel Comics when I Mm -hmm. was a teenager, whereas like All right. Sometimes they would have ones with of cosmic significance, but a a lot of times it would just be a sort of a story of something happening. You know, some of them are of less consequence, and some of them are better than others. Some of them you like the artist better than Mm -hmm. others, but they 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 capture the experience of reading those stories without just slavishly doing it, and that's such a delicate dolomite
2: captures the experience of listening to a Rudy Ray Moore party yes. album to bring it all back.
1: Well, Transition- somehow getting from Rudy Ray Moore into Zack Snyder is, that's, that's, a,
2: I'm still trying to picture what a Zack Snyder Dolomite would be. A
1: Zack, a Zack a, a exploitation movie. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Coming soon. The Zack exploitation genre.
1: That was actually uh, that was actually sucker punch it was, was yeah. Zack's exploitation movie if you like Zach Snyder that was that was pushing all the all the pander points
2: <laughs> that is still a fascinating film to me because it's it's a film about that somebody sincerely wanted to do it's obvious that this was something he was passionate about but he didn't have the tool
1: set to do it yet so it and when you say tool set, you mean in his brain, right? Not yeah. Not yeah, the actual I mean, physical tool, because he had the not, physical tool set. I don't mean like special set. effects or things.
2: I mean, yeah.
1: His maturity
2: has a director hadn't reached that level yet. The,
1: the, the level to speak, so he obviously thought he had something really intense and deep to say with that movie, mm-hmm. and it, it. It Did, didn't happen. And if when, when, when the movie came out and was getting criticized and he was explaining to, to everybody mm-hmm. how it was actually a movie about female empowerment, mm-hmm. that's when I was just like, I don't know if yeah. Black Snyder understands what humans are. Because <laughs> that is totally the opposite of what I got from it. I got that he was that he'd intellectually figured out something he wanted to say. And this was mm-hmm. about female empowerment, but an awful lot of it was also about having scantily clad female but, right. doing, doing about Emily Browning cool. in a schoolgirl girl outfit. Yeah. yeah. And there was a lot of, there was a lot of, you know, like, Oh, women's power comes from their yeah. sexual sexuality, you know, sort of undertone to it. Whereas a skilled filmmaker would put that in and subvert that, or use right. it to do the opposite, this one was making me feel. I'm like, am I watching this guy's beat off movie or something? <laughs> you know. It, it, but you
2: know, I will defend a film that is an ambitious failure twice as hard as I'll I'll defend a film that is a safe success. And
1: a, yeah, Sucker Punch was or an a ambitious safe failure, failure. Even worse. Yeah, yeah, he he did go a hundred percent. Onto it, and I will say, when I watched it, it got a strong reaction from me. Uh, that's yeah. for sure. And I would
2: totally buy an album of Carla Gugino in that stupid mouse and squirrel accent of hers, singing hits of the '80s.
1: But uh, uh well, that's another <laughs> thing. Is I don't I don't like that style of, of song remakes either. Yeah, they they all they they all end up sounding the same to me. And uh, yeah, it, it that that movie ended up. Feeling like I was watching a succession of commercials. Mm -hmm. I I think Zack Snyder like really wants to be John Borman. Mm -hmm. Uh, And um, what's the other what's the other guy who did Listomania and Tommy? Oh, uh, Ken Russell. Ken Russell. I think he wants to be Ken Russell, too. But he doesn't have the sheer human lunacy of either of those guys. You know, he's 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 very. Intellectual and not visceral at all. Even though he'll have visceral stuff in it, it's. But you see, even Ken Russell,
2: and I love Ken Russell. Even Ken Russell didn't make a, a gloriously bizarre film his first time out.
1: No, no he he had to he had to sort of march up there to where somebody it, was like, oh, this guy's skilled enough to let him right to 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 unchain him, and then when they unchained him, it was like, oh Jesus, exactly. <laughs> It wasn't the time for Zack Snyder
2: to be unchained at that point. But he figured this might be the only chance I get to do this because of the success that he's had. He had with 300 and with he figured I might as well strike now while the iron is hot.
1: Have you and, seen The Ward?
2: I have not seen The Ward. The last
1: uh, John
2: Carpenter film.
1: Yes. Now... We did all the John Carpenter movies for the the mm-hmm. Horror Vault podcast, and we have, I have notoriously not been able to get an like we all watched the Ward, mm-hmm. and we've never covered it. I get the feeling because everybody else hated it, I liked it, <laughs> and I liked it, and they're just like, oh, Chris, come on, man, look, don't make don't make us do it but the ward to when i saw the ward it's and it's also it's not a very john carpenter looking movie mm-hmm. like the the actresses are, the actresses are kind of wb like in them, Right. in it but there's a reason for that and and mm-hmm. like a, a, when i watched the movie i realized i just saw john carpenter make sucker punch <laughs> on 1/1000th one one millionth the, of the, the budget. budget yeah with with way more skill with and it's a failure it's not mm-hmm. I, I need to see it again it's a. It, I I enjoyed it although it may not be it may not be because I felt sort of the same way about um, what a, was it um, master of darkness the the one about the the Sutter Kane have you read oh Sutter oh Kane? in the mouth of madness. In the mouth of madness I saw I, that and I, and I was like okay this that. was a this was a entertaining failure as a movie but mm-hmm. it still has a lot of good stuff in it. And as I've watched it over and over again, I love it now. So mm-hmm. uh, and so I I may feel the same way about the the ward, but the ward was basically kind of like a low budget remake of Sucker Punch, <laughs> but a lot better. And and I almost got the feeling it was John Carpenter go, saw Sucker Punch and was just like, oh come on, <laughs> and was like. Let me scrape up. Let me scrape up a few hundred grand, a few, mm-hmm. you know, a few hundred grand, and get somebody to match it up into a few million, and and squeeze out something better, mm-hmm. which he
2: did. So. Um, one thing though that did deliver on all its promises is dolomite.
1: Was dolomite, yes. Was dolomite.
2: Um, once again we fell down that Zack Snyder hole because of that concept.
1: It, 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 yeah, there's a lot of gravity to the black the Zack Snyder black Roger hole, Hull. so I gotta I gotta be careful about that. Yeah.
2: Yes. Like I said, I, I have a higher opinion of him than you
1: do, but I I I understand your point of view. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, I I often think that pretty much everybody has a higher opinion of him than me, no matter how low they're. <laughs> well, I don't is. think
2: a lot of people have a, a, a very high opinion of him anymore. I no, think he that... he's,
1: he's a whipping boy, but yeah. they never. But it it always reminds me of like politics. Yeah. Like, okay, I I don't. I'm not a big subscriber to like being on political sides or something. Yeah. But when I see What you know, the two political sides beating up on each other, Mm -hmm. they never pick the stuff (laughs) like when when, you know, say the Republicans would criticize Obama and Mm -hmm. I had big criticisms of Obama. They would never criticize the stuff (laughs) that I didn't like. They would pick stuff that I would be like, oh, that's kind of bullshit, you know? Yeah. And now you're making me kind of like him. And that's mm-hmm. how I feel, I feel with 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 Zack Snyder. Is like I just think he's a fundamentally bad filmmaker. Like who like if you give him he's you know if you give him a good script he can cop he can film that script. But you know then I hear people saying like yeah I just don't just got that out got the outfits wrong. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Superman's Superman's outfits wrong and it's just like no. <laughs> The whole concept of Superman is wrong in it, and
2: right. Well, like I said, I think that's part of. I I think that we have to 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 not look at super the Man of Steel and Superman. Batman versus Superman has Zack Snyder films as much as
1: WB films. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's an that's another that's another thing that like I don't think people realize when they compare that like with Marvel. Is Marvel yeah. is its own thing that's developed to make Marvel movies, and, yeah. where and Marvel Warner Brothers this... is bit, is made yeah. to fuck with filmmakers and yeah. and crap on their whatever they're do- you know meddle with whatever they're doing. And the best the best Marvel
2: movies are the ones where they find the right guy for the property. Hey Ryan Coogler, you want to do Black Panther? Hey Kenneth Branagh, you want to do Thor? If they say yes. They say, we'd like to have this, 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 and this in it. And then
1: they get out of the way. Yeah. Whereas Warner Brothers, well, Warner Brothers, that's that's well, a, a layer of confidence and a layer of yeah. having just one thing to do. Whereas Warner yeah. Brothers is like trying to run their whole business and you, and you have that whole set in infrastructure of people who are like, hey, it's part of my job to try to get you know to pee on mm-hmm. this project a little bit i got to get my own scent on it a little, and you end up with also all that in- i think
2: the other thing about the difference between the marvel universe marvel and the dc anime the dc extended universe is that marvel planned this out to happen organically they planned out for this to happen over the course of several films whereas it seemed like the warner brothers is just trying to force the idea of an extended universe on us yeah. right away
1: yeah and and marvel used a, a lot of a lot of planning patience and confidence mm-hmm. in what they did once they got it going they said let let's stick to the plan let's stick to the plan okay this mm-hmm. movie might not have made a, as much as the last one know, let's just keep plugging ahead and you know and it's worked like yeah unbelievably it's it's kind of convinced everybody and their uncle that they need to have an extended universe now. Yeah, well, that's that. That's very you know. I mean, there was a time when everybody was like, "We got to get a Star Wars movie out," and we saw what that did too. I love Star Crash. I love Star Crash too. <laughs> I love Star Crash. That's I mean, you like... get you get sometimes you get a Star Crash and sometimes you get yeah. Battle Beyond the Stars, but mm-hmm. and and they're definitely not Star Wars, but like. They're they're still worth watching, but there was also a lot of. Um, well, I guess Space Hunter isn't that bad. Yeah. <laughs> but there but were a then lot again, of those. You know, you get you get a
2: shaft, and then everybody wants to do their own shaft, and sometimes you get
1: some pretty poor crap. Nobody nobody copied Dolomite though. That, to well, their do, credit, yeah. how could you? Because Dolomite was,
2: it was well, he was, you know, because let's, I mean, he he wrote this film, he didn't direct it, but I'm sure that he was standing over Derville's Martin's, <laughs> yeah, shoulder. He was probably doing the costumes and the catering and the he pro- was doing. It, Dolomite yep. is, uh, Rudy Ray Moore is an example. Of people we're going to run into a lot in grindhouse cinema, which are people who are entrepreneurs onto themselves.
1: No, yeah, no. He he went around with a with a backpack with dolomite mm-hmm. in the backpack, sh- s- You know, selling the movie. You know, here's my movie. Watch it. You want to distribute it? You know, he. Yeah. And he and and he did that from learning to do that with his records. You know, so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's a he's a I self-made mean, man, and he did it. From we the are going. Up.
2: We are going to at some point encounter one of my favorite direct writer directors, Larry Cohen. Oh yeah. He, the man, never met a a a, a filming permit he liked. He was all about guerrilla filmmaking, but. His stuff is uniquely his. You can recognize, you recognize a Larry Cohen film when you see it, even if you don't know it's a Larry Cohen film. You recognize a Rudy Ray Moore film when you see it, mainly because it's all about Rudy Ray Moore. Yeah,
1: because he's in every second of yeah. it. <laughs>
2: yes. But it, 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 there's a whole history of these entrepreneurs. There's a, a well,
1: there's a Earl Owensby. Yeah. Oh, Earl Ormsby had a whole like invisible career just in yep. drive-ins down south. You know, exactly. I remember sixty Minutes doing a a, a thing yep. on him in this in the seventies or early eighties. Mm-hmm. Uh, Andy Milligan. Yeah. Oh my God, Staten
2: Island. <laughs> yep. Staten Island's finest. Uh, grindhouse cinema is filled with these people who just wanted to
1: make movies. Doris Wishman. Well, she didn't really even
2: want to make movies, actually. Yeah, <laughs> uh, The Finleys. Yeah. And we're going to counter these as we go on this journey again and again and again. And some of, some of them are unique outsiders like Rudy Ray Moore. I mean, you, you definitely can say there's nothing like a Rudy Ray Moore film. Yeah.
1: No, you can I'm definitely it. put it in the folk art, outsider yeah. art category.
2: And some of them are, well, the vampires are coming the werewolves are here
1: well yeah yeah i mean th- that's a th- and well that's the difference between rudy Ray Moore and andy milligan is yeah. andy milligan movies are hard to watch dorsh yeah. w- wishman movies are hard to watch like not not like oh this is too intense it's like i'm gonna fall asleep you know mm-hmm. there's there's really a lot of filler in them and they are really like you know like andy milligan a lot of it had to do with he really wanted to make movies but at the same time, he really wanted to make money too, and it was right. like if you just finish it, you could make money with it. So that was the mm-hmm. goal of it. Um, oh, I'm trying to remember remember the name of the director who did uh, Hollywood Chainsaw Hookers. Um, Fred Olin Ray. Fred Olin Ray. Is 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 like well Fred Fred Olin Ray he loves making movies he doesn't really care what the movie is mm-hmm. he really doesn't care if it's good if it's bad he likes the process my, my roommate had the, mm-hmm. the good luck to uh, she worked on like a couple like independent short films and through a recommendation of a person person ended up on a Fred Olin Ray movie in Buffalo mm-hmm. and it was he was filming it for Lifetime. Oh and it was about a, it was it was about a woman who got her bag switched at the airport and had spies trying to kill her, you know, and chasing her chasing her through downtown Buffalo. Mm-hmm. And she was a suburban mom and had to rise to the occasion of, you know, being a spy and save her ass. And it's really and you know, he's he's gotten to the level of like he knows enough about the craft of filmmaking that, that, that Lifetime will hire him to just churn out these mm-hmm. these by-number movies. But my roommate said he just loves the process. Yeah. He loves, he, he's a he nice has guy, things too. That he does that he loves. He loves to put, yeah. like, plants in, like, he has this thing of, like, wherever you have a scene, they'd film a scene and he'd be like, we need a plant in there. In the airport, you know, scenes yeah. in the airport, and and actually, I just watered it today in the backyard. Is I've got one of the from the movie she worked on. She took the plant home, and we were watching the movie, and there's like five. There it is, <laughs> there it is in the airport, and then they dry, and she's just like. I, we dragged this plant everywhere. I can't wait to see if it turned up in the movie. And every single scene that he used that plant, he made sure he got the plant in there. Mm-hmm. Doesn't, doesn't add anything, subtract anything, but in Fred Olin Ray's mind, it's like, scene needs a plant. Right. And he just lives to live that lifestyle of making a movie, which is madness, basically. Mm-hmm. It's frustrating madness, but he loves it. And... Uh, I'm... Rudy Ray War loved making money. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, well, he he obviously loved making these movies too because he was he did not slack on his movies. You could mm-hmm. make you could make crappy movies in those days and make money off them. As a matter of fact, you made more money by making more movies, which meant make them crappier because you're, you're spending less time on them. So it right. was really to his credit that like each. of each of his movies is its own crafted, it's the same thing, but it's it's got its own crafted little thing. Sort of like Russ Meyer. Mm-hmm. And it was a movie, Russ Meyer movies now There, there watch... are
2: films about female empowerment in a way.
1: Yes. Oh yeah. And they were also movies that Russ Meyer just wanted to beat off to. Yeah. They're like, Russ Meyer was like I'm just gonna film my fantasy world and, and I also like being around beautiful women with balconies you can read Shakespeare from <laughs> and uh, so I, I will make this movie because that will put me in the position where I get to interact with all these, these ladies and right. which was a lot of movies and that, well a lot of mm-hmm. movies period but he was up front so to speak up front about it yeah I love Russ so. Meyer if we ever want to cover some Russ Meyer I'm I'm, uh, have you
2: ever seen his one studio film, the seven, the seven
1: minutes? I have not seen the seven minutes. I heard it's terrible, but that it's awful. Oh, I mean, I mean, wasn't uh, um, the oh the the one he, he did with Roger Ebert that was that had some studio money behind I, it? I think so. Yeah, but but the only one that was
2: like, and they made a big deal about it. Russ Meyer presents. <laughs> kind of like, kind of like how we have William Hassell presents Rosemary's Baby, which you know it, it 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 was a big deal for the for this exploitation filmmaker to be in bed with this major studio, so to speak. So to speak. Yes, yeah, so, no pun intended. Um, but and the thing is, I think what the reason why Dolomite lives on and became an icon in hip hop culture. Yeah, Come the '80s, is because it is very D-I- DUI. You know, do it right. yourself.
1: Well, do, that's how, you know, and that's what rap culture was. Right, and and I mean, he's rapping <laughs> mm-hmm. way before. I mean, before Dolomite was doing that. I mean, a lot of the, like the Signifying Monkey people were doing the Signifying Monkey before Dolomite. Right, it was like Oral tra- Dolomite was taking a lot of stuff that was already oral tradition in the form of they called them toasts right and then adding his own spin on them which was usually like he would turn 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 them into you know the titanic where everybody on the titanic mm-hmm. was black and it would poke fun at, at, at white people and uh, but you know he gets a lot of between him and blowfly both of them were yeah. both claiming to be you know the origin of rap music when mm. in fact it's probably more dolomite but they both have some aspects of claim it. yeah but then you know snoop dogg started taking dolomite records and slapping them in in their in their records you know and, yeah and that and you know i mean once once kids got a hold of that stuff and all those kids are like 40 years old now <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah but uh you know, and they heard that stuff, and then they found out where it came from. It was all over. You know, it, they've they've discovered it, and that was, and that was sort of the rap people, following the same course that Dolomite did, and paying it for paying it forward a little bit. Right. You know, and br- bringing him back, and also put po- and pointing towards their past as Dolomite would point towards the past of, you know, of the oral traditions of of body stories. Right. So. Once again, you... way more cultural significance than, <laughs> than some big Hollywood Oscar production with Sidney Portier. <laughs> not that there's anything wrong with Sidney Portier movies.
2: No, not at all. I have a feeling
1: I know what you're going to give it, but what would you
2: give Dolomite?
1: Ten out of ten. Ten, okay. It's a ten. <laughs> it's, 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 it's a perfect movie. It's perfect. Don't change a thing. <laughs> Literally, there's nothing that I would want different in Dolomite. That I, 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 don't want anybody to act any better. It, it, yeah, it's pitch perfect. Because it, well, it's
2: because it's his world. It's the worldview of a specific person. Yeah, it's unfettered by studio interference or concerns about for what things, anybody what he...
1: feels about it. Yeah.
2: He did the film he wanted to make, and it has endured to this very day.
1: And, and, and you can watch it for free on... I, it looks like pretty much every Rudy Ray Moore movie is on... I don't know if it fa- if they've fallen into a copyright zone where it's... They're all of a sudden, every one of them's on YouTube, but that's how it is. They're all out there, and I... Well, they're owned by Zenon Pictures, which is a, 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 a
2: DV. well, I guess they would call now a DVD company. Uh, they used to be a video company that specializes in exploitation, and will be probably visiting their catalog again sometime soon.
1: And they probably don't worry about them being on YouTube because mm-hmm. the kind of people who are going to want a Dolomite DVD aren't not gonna buy one just because right. they can watch it on YouTube anytime. They want mm-hmm. the they want the extras and they want the physical copy. So it's the same thing, like what for years and years you couldn't find Russ Meyer movies unless you ordered them for like hundred and twenty dollars a piece from Russ Meyer. Mm-hmm. And uh, now they're all on YouTube. You could just you could go bathe in Russ Meyer for days on, on YouTube. It's so strange nothing, and then all of a sudden, everything. <laughs> so. Yeah, this is this is my favorite phase of the experiment so far.
2: Well, are you ready for more nudity?
1: Yes. <laughs> you had
2: me at nudity. Phase four. I had one of my peers give us a recommendation. Oh. The great Patrick from Scream Queens where horror gets bent. And he has sent us the first nudie musical. Oh. From 1976.
1: I have heard of this only from the Golden Turkey Awards. Mm Mm-hmm. Hated this movie. But I have, like, Golden Turkey Awards was my introduction to bad movies as a kid. And now, as time has gone by, I've learned to not trust the Golden Turkeys yeah. Award. I trust it as something to tell me about movies that I want to watch now.
2: Mm-hmm. The, the I... Golden Turkey Awards are kind of like the Razzies in that I think the Veg really went for low-hanging fruit. At when the time,
1: though, there wasn't, there wasn't the culture of that sort of stuff. So, it, well, to me especially, like, I, uh, mm-hmm. a lot of those were, you know, Plan 9, I'd never, I would never have heard of Plan 9 from Outer mm-hmm. Space if it wasn't for the Golden Turkey Awards at that time. Right. So, I guess, the, since they were the first, they should have covered the low-hanging fruit. But, like, in time, I found it was just like, geez, these guys... Totally don't understand what they were, you know, what they were watching. I mean, there's stuff, there's, there's stuff like the creeping, uh, the, well, yeah. not, the cre- not the creeping unknown, the creeping terror. Creeping terror, I've that, seen. That, that are truly terror. deserving of being in like a Golden Turkey Awards book, you know, mm-hmm. for, what, for whatever reason. But there, there's a lot of other stuff that, that I've seen from the Golden Turkey Awards where I'm just like, what the hell were they talking about? This is sheer joy. <laughs> and I've gone past that with my younger days of ironically liking things. Yeah. I don't like ironically liking things. It's, it's stupid. You just like things. <laughs> you like things because they're good. And if you're going, the, oh, this is so cheesy, it's good, guess what? It's good. <laughs> yes.
2: And according to Patrick, this film is good. We're going to find out for ourselves Ooh. in phase four. Cindy Williams is going to be so upset.
1: I'm. I, I. I did a little reading about it, and I'm. I'm. I'm holding out for some Cindy Williams nudity, but I really fear that we probably won't get any. But holding well, well, now... out. We'll find out. Also,
2: we should mention there is a connection between this film and Dolomite. Both starred the notorious overactor, High Pike.
1: Ooh. I would have to imagine that the nudie musical. Better be stocked chocked I don't want full to see of, high, high of Overacting. Yeah.
2: <laughs> well, we'll find out.
1: We'll find out. And, uh,
2: it's time for you to go! <laughs>
0: oh!
1: Joe the my
0: Alright, alright. Long live the gorilla. Live I want everybody to say that behind me. Repeat after me when I say it this time. Long live the gorilla. Long live, the gorilla. Long live the gorilla. And I ain't lying a power. You know, I was in a club the other day, and this fella was walked in the restroom, you know, and you know what happened? He went in there and sit down on the stool and took the shit. <laughs> <and> <laughs> The bartender was at the bar and heard all this. Ah, ah, ah. So the bartender went in there to see what was happening. So he said, Man, what the hell is happening with you? So this cat sitting there on the stool said, Well, man, said, every time I get ready to flush this thing, it bites me. He, he said, Why, you damn fool. You are sitting on a mop bucket. I wouldn't lie to you, baby.